Last year, 198 million of these were sold for Valentine's Day. This year, 2013, $10.3 billion will be used for Valentine expressions. And some of you didn't even join with them, you cheapskate you. <laughs> so I went to the florists on Wednesday afternoon. This is out of Pam's arrangement. And in the florist shop, there was this steady stream of customers coming up to the counter the Wednesday before Valentine's, which is on Thursday. Every single one of the people at the counter was a male. Because we may not know the difference between a hibiscus and a lily of the valley, but we know the difference between a very happy date and a sad date. <laughs> Pam was so generous, she gave me some gifts. One of those was a card. That kind of card that is just shared between a husband and wife, that kind of card that can create sparks between a husband and wife, uh, the kind of card that you don't let anybody else read, the kind of card that makes a man smile, the kind of card that the cash, cashier where she bought it after recognizing that she was the wife of the pastor of Erie First Assembly and had attended church, not only rang up the card, but took time to read the card. Now she understands why we're a happy couple. <laughs> so what is this drive that, that brings to us this place that we want to express affection, that there is this connection that, that we want to make both emotionally and physically? What is that? So for the next four weeks, we're going to deal with that and, and come to an understanding both as single and as married people why that drive is within us and God's design for that. So to help set a base of understanding, because there's a whole lot of opinions about romance and affection and sexuality that are running around out there. So to set the base, I want to begin first with a video that I think is really funny and rather ridiculous. And you'll probably look at it and say, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? I'll get you there in just a moment. Take a peek. Food. You know, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. So, you know, I, I went to the fridge and I opened up the meat drawer. You know what the meat drawer is, right? Yeah. What was in there? Well, I'll tell you what was in there. You know that bacon that's like maple? It's got maple flavor. The maple kind, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. I took that out and I thought, yeah. I know who would like that. Me. So I ate it. Oh! You're kidding me. Nope. Not kidding. You know, I also noticed there was some beef in there. Yeah, you know, steak, you know, juicy. Well, I ate that too. <laughs> but I went back to the fridge just a few minutes ago and I put something together really special. You're gonna love this one. I took some chicken. Yeah. I put some, yeah, I yeah. put some cheese on it. And I covered it with- Covered it with what? I covered it with cat treats. Yeah. Then guess what? What? I gave it to the cat. <laughs> and as far as we know, none of Rob's students have seen that dog yet. <laughs> so
so, so here's the deal. We can try to make the dog say what we want it to say, which obviously this guy did. But unfortunately, we're really good at making God say what we want God to say. So as we go through this, this whole four weeks, this series on, on relationship and sex and all that, that is intertwined with that, what we're going to really endeavor to do is only tell you what the scriptures clearly state and what the scriptures clearly do not state. And one of the things that the scripture does clearly state is this. God created us as sexual beings. And not so that Sports Illustrated can now sell 10 times as more editions of their swimsuit edition as they do of any other issue. How many of you have ever eaten at, uh, uh, at someone's home that's really Italian and they cook Italian food? How many have done that? Okay, so the first time that we ever, ever did that was here in Erie, Pennsylvania. And so we're invited to some folks' house, and they're, they're, having a, they're Italian, and they're having Italian food. And so they bring out this wonderful pasta, just really, really good pasta. And so I start eating the pasta, and the pasta is so good. And, and there's more, and, and you, know, you know, Italian people, they come, you, you need some more. And so they just keep giving more, and, and you're eating more and more and more. They didn't tell me that that was the first. They didn't tell me there was an entree after the pasta. So, so now bear with me. Here's what I want to tell you. We live in a culture and a society that tells you that sex and intimacy are the main course. And, and as I talk through this whole series, and I'm going to use sex and intimacy combined together, and, it, and it's somewhat a different perspective if you're male or female. You know, you ask a woman, she says, all the guy thinks about is sex. And, and I, th I think of Dr. Kevin Lehman, who's got a great sense of humor. He's a, he's a Christian psychologist. Someone once said to him, is that all that men think about is sex? And his response was, well, no. Sometimes we think about sex and food. And so we're going, to, we're going to go from that direction and also from the direction that, that so often it is the intimacy, it is the connection that the woman is focused on and the, and the sexuality is just an expression of that. So as we talk about sex, and I use the word sex or I use the word intimacy, we're combining those together because they're, they're all heading the same direction. We live in a culture that says that sex is the main course. 70% of all television programs include some sexual content. And of those 70%, the average is about five sexual scenes per hour. And that is because they understand that we are sexual beings. You say, well, wait, wait, wait. You're going to talk about sex and, and God in, 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 in a Sunday morning service? Yes, I am. Because if you'll take notice, the first two worshipers that ever were on this earth stood there naked before each other, and God was about to tell them that the two shall become one flesh. And when he looked at these worshipers and the angels watching, he said, oh, this is very good. Very good. I appreciate the words of author Stephen Schwambach, who writes these words. Anybody who has ever experienced great lovemaking instinctively knows the truth. Sex is too good to have just happened. It didn't involve as a result of some cosmic accident. Something this exquisite had to have been lovingly, brilliantly, creatively designed. If an atheist ever comes up to you and demands proof that there is a God, all you have to answer is one word, sex. 
Amen. Give him a day to think about it, and if at the end of the day he, he re- remains unconvinced, then he has just revealed more, far more about his sex life or the lack thereof than he ever intended. God created sex. Doesn't that tell you a lot about who God really is? Among other things, it tells you he is ingenious. So here's God's plan. The beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, says this. So God created male, man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God made sex. And still, with all that brilliance, with all that expression of love that God placed into that, I want you to clearly understand that it is not the main course. Now, I just want you to say that with me. It is not the main course. Say it. it is not the main so we've spent several months reflecting on what it means to be the image of God. That as you tomorrow go to the Erie Airport and get on that plane that'll take you to Detroit and you're seated in seat 5A. In seat 5A, it is God's plan that you are the loving and authoritative rule of God on his behalf, in his image, on that plane. That you are ruling in his stead. That is his plan for us. God says to Adam and Eve, I want you to have sex. I want you to multiply. And I want you to produce so many images of God that they cover the earth. But because this drive is so powerful... Because it is so instrumental, I've given you a design to follow so that it is not destructive, but it accomplishes what I've designed for it to accomplish. And millennia later, Jesus, the image of God, the Son of God, repeats those expressions. And he says in Mark 10, these words, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Here in these expressions from Jesus himself are three strands of sexual expression woven together. Sex, marriage, and fidelity. Guys, there is this drive, you know it's there, to to be with someone Most of you look forward to that time of of marriage. You're looking forward to that moment. There is this drive. Let me tell you what that drive is. The drive is simply this, that God took the woman out of Adam's flesh and this whole man and woman relationship is there to reunite that one flesh together. That is the drive. And God made it so creatively beautiful that the drive to come together and the drive brings you together. And at that moment, there's this great, wonderful, physical celebration of what God has designed. The context in which that is to take place, Jesus makes it very clear. The oneness happens within the beginning of a new family unit. And that unit, that husband and wife, and the family that will develop is to be a life long partnership. That is what God has designed for us. So Friday, Pam and I drove to Finley, Ohio to spend some time with David Blattner, a former staff person who retired from here in 1998, I believe it was, and, and his wife, Doris, died last week. 
Doris and Dave had been married for 58 years in July. And for the last four years, Doris has really not known Dave battling with Alzheimer's. But he lovingly, daily, would go and be with her and care for her. And though she did not know him, he knew her. There is this thing about what God designed, this, this lifelong partnership that develops a depth of connection that cannot be done without time and self-sacrifice. And Dave is an incredible example of that. In addition, they were one of the most romantic couples I'd ever seen. They were in their late 60s, early 70s when they left here, and, and you could watch Dave and Doris, and, and you'd watch them, they'd walk down the hall holding hands which was difficult because he was like six foot seven and she's three foot nothing. <laughs> we were watching pictures on the screen in the funeral home and, and when he got through the, the pictures, Pam said, did you see how many times Doris is seated on, on his lap? There is this wonderful, wonderful romantic connection. They were always dating. They still dated. And he would take her away on cruises. And quite honestly, there were a couple of times in the years that we were served together, I'd see him sneak into the office with a Victoria's Secret bag. I said, Dave, and he would just smile. But Dave understood this. This whole romance and, and, and intimacy, the sexuality, was not the main course. But it was tied together with the marriage, with the fidelity, with the depth of connection, the way that God had designed it. We live in a culture that makes that tough for us. It makes us feel like that, that sex is the main course and that's all you need and then if you're not happy with that person, you move to the next person because that's what you're designed for and it's not true. We're, we are created for connection. We all know that in the garden that Adam and Eve had this wonderful connection with each other and with God, but in that process, they decided they could still do the thing they wanted to do and rule this earth the way that God had designed it to be ruled only by disconnecting with God. And when they disconnected with God, not only did they disconnect with him, they disconnected with each other. That's why God walks into the garden and he says, where are you? They're disconnected. And then he looks at them and, and they're disconnected from each other. He said, well, who clothed you? Because you were naked and not ashamed. And now suddenly there, there's these hidden parts of you saying, I'm not sure I can trust him. I'm not sure I can trust her. And then there's this blame game going back and forth as if two separate entities are now clamoring for their own interests and, and the unity, the oneness is gone. There's a disconnect. The word sex is related to the Latin word sacare, which means to sever, to amputate, to disconnect from the whole. Rob Bell says this, our sexuality then has two dimensions. First, our sexuality is our awareness of how profoundly we're, we're severed and cut off and disconnected. And second, our sexuality is all of the ways we go about trying to reconnect. There is this drive that we want to have intimacy, and sometimes we reinterpret that as if we just have sexual expression, we'll be okay. But our sexuality has to deal with that, that, that desire and the completion of that desire. Sexuality is more than what happens between two people involving themselves in sexual pleasure. It is a reminder of all the ways we're trying to reconnect with the world that God had designed for us. And that's the problem with casual sex. It is an act without the connect. It promises intimacy but leaves us with emptiness. Because.
because it's not the main course. The main course is simply this, and it may come to you as a surprise. The ultimate reason we are sexual is to make God more knowable. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? I am so thankful that God didn't say the way that you'll get to know me best is that you'll have to sit in a classroom and listen to lectures 12 hours a day. Instead, he said, I'll show you a variety of ways, and one of those ways is that on your honeymoon night, when you become one, I'll be revealing myself to you in that process. Because I want you to have joy, and I want you to find my intimacy with you. See, the scriptures are full of sexual imagery describing our relationship with God. And so I want to take you to one of those, and I want you to listen to what is described in the imagery that God uses through his prophet Ezekiel. He says this, on the day you were born, your cord was not, he's talking to Israel, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood, and as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew. You were naked and bare. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. God has designed sexuality in its deepest intimacy and its greatest ecstasy to reveal to us that what we experience at that moment is only a taste of what God has planned for us. That which he has planned is the main course. Paul the Apostle reiterates that to the church in Ephesus when he says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Now, listen, he's been talking about their oneness, and we know this whole thing about marriage and intimacy and sexuality, but listen to what he says. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. I believe that as a husband and wife are physically one, God is present, reminding them of his grace and his glory. I find it interesting that of all the metaphors, metaphors and, and images and symbols that the Apostle John could have drawn upon to talk about the end of the world as we know it, what he uses is marriage. He talks about this wonderful celebration of marriage, and in that he talks about the fact that in that marriage we will be fully known. And isn't that why we crave sex? To be fully known and still loved? To be connected? and yet be accepted. The man and his wife are both naked and felt no shame. Isn't that our goal? Sex provides us with a glimpse into the world we are desperate to regain. The point of marriage is not marriage any more so than the point of a window is the window. The window is to allow us to see something beyond it. Marriage is to let us see something beyond that. That it is not just oneness with our spouse, but a promised oneness with our creator that we can be connected to him. You say, but wait, 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 what if, what if, I'm, what if I'm single? What if I'm celibate? 
Earlier we sang, I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Here's what Paul the Apostle said. I would rather you do that than be married because of how complicated the world is becoming. Because of the distractions. But if you will give yourself away to God... That, that in your celibacy you follow his plan, that there is no sex outside of marriage. If you follow that and you give yourself away to God, you say, I will seek you. He said, in the love that you now have for God and the love that you have for other people within this world, that as I assign you, God says, to give your life away for others, in that sacrificing, in that giving, I will reveal myself to you in a depth that bypasses the need for the sexuality that you will find a depth of connection with me that you did not know was possible. I find it very interesting that as Jesus talked to the woman at the well and he said, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, well, that's true. You've had five husbands and the guy you're living with is not your husband. He said this, I can give you something that we'll never thirst again for those relationships if you worship me with spirit and in truth. Because quite frankly, marriage and sexuality are not the main course. I grew up in a culture, and growing up in a culture where, especially in my high school, that, that was the deal. And, and I live in a Christian home, so I knew the rules, and so I didn't do that. And I was always afraid, because we lived with a really present, uh, during the late 60s and 70s, with this, this sense that Jesus would return any time. And so I didn't do certain things, as I was afraid that Jesus was going to show up and I'd go to hell. So I didn't do those, but as I, as I got into my senior year in high school, I thought, well, he hasn't shown up yet, <laughs> so maybe I can just get by and then get back. So I decided that, that I'd been good and long enough, and so I, and I've shared this story with you before, I'll just reiterate parts of it. I, I knew a girl that was a cheerleader, and I know that she had a reputation, and I thought, hmm. So I, I took her out with the intent of seeing how far I could go. So we, I parked the car in, in, a, in a secluded spot and leaned over to kiss her. And she said, oh, oh by the way, I, I just want to let you know that I went with Becky to church last week and I gave my heart to Jesus. <laughs> I was not happy with God at that moment. <laughs> but I'm very thankful now. See, if... if if I wanted her just for her body, then I have split her. I've only wanted a part of her, and if I am the image of God on this earth and I'm communicating God's presence and his word to people by my actions, by that very action, what would I have said to her about how God feels about her? That he only wants you for, for part of what really he desires and the rest of it he doesn't care about. Guys, there is deep, deeply driven into a woman. And whether she's covered it or not, it's still there and it still cries out that when you decide that you're going to sleep with her, she's going to want to know where this relationship is going because it's just built within her. She's going to want to be integrated because the very act of sexuality re releases this, this, this chemical reaction in her, this chemical release 
This oxytocin that is released into the body, the very thing that's released as she would nurse her newborn child to help bond her to the child, it is a release of a chemical to saying the person you're having sex with is the person you need to bond with. So deep down inside of her, she wants to know, will you be here in the morning? Is, what, what is beyond this sex act? Do you want all of me? Sex has been created not just for getting naked and having sex, it's for letting someone in my spirit. It's easy to have sex, but never really be naked. And I just simply ask you to, to ask yourself this question before you have sex outside of marriage to the one that you will be with forever. The question simply is this. Whether you ask it out loud or not, the question is, am I worth getting to know for the rest of your life? Because if I'm not, then we're not doing this. So in these weeks to come, we're going to talk a little bit more about how the, how the community around us is impressing us with, with false images, how we deal with the community once we decide that we are going to be celibate from sexuality or stay within the confines of marriage. Bottom line is, sex and marriage are not the main course. If marriage is supposed to give me the hope of a future world, what happens when that world arrives? If sex is about connection, what happens when I'm fully connected to everybody else? If marriage is, is becoming one, what happens when, when man and woman are complete in and of themselves? What if all I need I find in the oneness with Jesus? Sadducees came to, to, to Jesus and wanted to trick him because they wanted him to, to falter on this idea if there's a resurrection. And they said, well, here's the story. Here's this guy and this lady. They get married. They don't have kids. And he dies. And so as is the custom, the brother takes her and now marries her. And that happens seven times. Now whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And the response stuns them. For Jesus says this, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. See, sex may drive us in this creation, but it is absent in God's final creation. Now, see, that's tough for us in a culture where everything is sexuality, where everything is the imagery of sexuality. We say, well, well there's, there's no sex. That's not going to be fun in heaven. I want to just tell you, and I don't know how this is going to happen, but what happens when you spend time forever with God in its brilliance and in its beauty and its ecstasy will make sex look like studying for a geology test. I don't know how that's going to happen, but that's his promise. So we have some choices to make. Do we believe the culture? Or do we believe God? Is God a prude or is he a genius? And I have choices to make about what I do today. And I have to make those every day. We live in a culture that is so saturated with images, it is really tough not to see those. And so quite honestly, I really wanted to see, part of me really wanted to see, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Only simply because I was looking for bathing suits. 
It's just, it's just part of, of the man thing inside of me. There's a visual thing I wanted to see. So I have a choice to make. And if I would have made the choice to find the place to view that, I will tell you that probably it would have been exciting to some degree, but when I'm done looking, I'm empty and guilty and disconnected. But if I choose to romance my wife, I choose to stay focused on her. And if I'm single, if I choose to serve where God has put me, and to love him, and to love other people unconditionally. God says to me, in my situation, treat your wife in in a manner that is loving and, and compassionate and passionate. And in doing so, I will fill you up. And I will reveal who I am to you through that relationship. See, it pleases him when I am sexual as he designs sexuality. So we've been in a worship service this morning. You know what worship is? Worship is encountering God and responding in an accurate way. That's what worship is. That includes sex. I can't worship him in here and refuse to worship him in the bedroom. Because if he's not in the bedroom, then he's not filling me up. If he's not filling me up, I'm disconnected. And I'm trying to make sex the main course, and it's not the main course. But if I follow God's design, I will find the connection that I crave. I will learn how to be naked and not ashamed. I will hear God say, ah, that's really good. Because that, hearing God say, hey, that's really good, That's the main course. So how do we respond to this? Because that's the tough part. You all, you know, every time, periodically I talk about the sex in a service and and everybody gets just stone cold, quiet, and you don't dare look at anybody around you. (laughs) Sexuality and intimacy is all part of the plan that God has for us and and it has to be done according to his plan. So some of you, are sexually active and you're not married. So the question I have is, are you really following Jesus? Some of you are married and, and you're using images and, and going outside of marriage. Are you really following Jesus? Because if you're not following him, you will not find the connection you're looking for. Your marriage will suffer. Your future marriage will suffer. Because the images that you build within you right now will not leave you. The sexual relationships that you have that, that create this bonding and then you rip them away, it's like using tape over and over again. The adhesiveness will begin to suffer so that when you finally find the one you want to be with, it's going to be tough to stay together because you have over and over and over again taken your spirit and your system and your body through this coming together and ripping apart, coming together and ripping apart. Oh yeah, you, can, you, you will be an adhesive to one another. You will cleave to one another, but it's going to be a tougher, tougher battle for you. So in these, in these weeks to come, I'm simply going to ask you, what are you going to do in this culture? Because you're going to be swimming upstream. This is countercultural. 
But you've got to decide whose culture you really put your faith in. Because if you trust God, he's going to give you, he's going to give you a filling up of inside that nothing can compare to because that's the main course. So in these days to come, I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do about this? Because right now, statistics show that 50% of the men sitting in this room are watching porno. 30% of the women sitting in this room are watching porno. Over 50% of the marriages are going to fall apart. What are we going to do with that? Would you stand? So I leave you with those thoughts, and you go, oh, bummer, dude. Give us something we're excited about. Okay, sing this with me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So now, go out with that good news and the wonderful design that God has created for you. For you, Come back next week because we're going to build precept upon precept on this thing. So don't bail out and come back in a couple weeks and go, what did he say? Because I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Show up and let's create a culture that represents Jesus and is healthy. God bless you. Have a great week.